Hi, I'm Pastor Guy Burke. We welcome you to this week's worship with First Baptist Church Indianola. We also invite you to find out more about us at our website, www.fbcindianola.com. And don't forget to like us on social media. Join us now as we study deep truths from God's holy word. team for leading us in that time of song. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at one verse together this week as we continue our series leading up to Easter, a multifaceted Easter. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to look at verse 26 together uh, this morning as we continue our series leading up to Easter. Early on in my ministry, I was interim pastor of a church down in South Mississippi, New Providence uh, Baptist Church, and it was during the winter time, and I arrived, and uh, it was super cold, especially for the Pine Belt during that time of year, uh, kind of abnormally cold. And, and I'm, I arrived uh, getting ready for worship, and we're outside, and there's an older gentleman there with me, and I, I said just, you know, you know how you talk about the weather and chit-chat and everything. And, you know, I said, I said, man, it is super cold, and I'm more of a warm weather kind of guy, you know. And he looks at me, and he says, well, it's not as cold as sleeping in the snow in Normandy. And I go, you are correct. That is right. It is not as cold as sleeping in the snow in Normandy. Uh, but that moment stuck with me. And it's a moment that reminds me about the sacrifice of our soldiers during World War II and the sacrifices they made, right? Uh, and, and, and the sacrifices that it took. It took tremendous sacrifice to defeat an enemy such as the Nazi regime. Why? Because there had never been anything like the Nazi regime, and it took sleeping in the snow in Normandy and other sacrifices that we've heard uh, shared, that have been written about, and that we'll continue to talk about uh, for a very, very long time. But what is sacrifice? What does sacrifice mean? What does sacrifice look like? What does sacrifice look like for my life, for your life? Is there a sacrifice that can be made that would change something, that would make my life different? Well, what does sacrifice look like? And today we're going to talk about what sacrifice means. So the reason that this is important and it's worth your time today is that we're going to look precisely at the sacrifice of Jesus and what it means for you and for me. With Easter on the horizon, we recognize this sacrifice that Jesus made. Today, however, I want us to narrow the focus. I want us to narrow the focus specifically to what Christ did in regards to to death, defeating the enemy of death. And this theological reality, it leads us to our big idea for this morning. And our big idea for today is Christ's death defeated death. Christ's death defeated death. Will you say that with me? Christ's death defeated death. And I want to show you that from this one verse that I hope will be portable for you, that you can take with you this week, you can reflect upon, you can dwell upon, and you can praise the Lord through just this one verse that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So let's set it up. If 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter uh, that Paul writes about, 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection chapter. And so he has been going through it to, to prove the resurrection, to establish the resurrection, to show that the Christian faith hinges uh, very heavily upon the resurrection. And so now he comes to this verse where he speaks about the last enemy. The last enemy that Christ defeated through the cross and through the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 26, Paul writes this. 
The last enemy to be abolished is death. The last enemy to be abolished is death. Now I want to unveil three components regarding this verse for you this morning. And the first component is this, last but not least. Last but not least. We see in this verse that death is the last enemy. That's what Paul says here. Last but not least. You know, there seems to be a lot of farewell tours for recording artists happening, right? Uh, have you seen these farewell tours? So, so I heard on the radio that artists like Elton John and Tina Turner, they're gearing up for these farewell tours. And my first thought was, haven't we said farewell to them already? Like, how long is Tina going to roll on that river, right? You know, and the answer to that is, as long as there's money coming in, there's going to be a farewell tour, right? It could be five farewell tours, and, and they're going to sign up for these farewell, farewell tours. And, and Paul is showing here in, in these verses that the farewell to death came through Christ. The farewell to the enemy of death came to the Lord, through the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did in the resurrection. In this verse, Paul states that death is the last enemy. Now, we may be more familiar with two other enemies. First, we may be familiar with Satan as the enemy, and that, that's correct. Satan is our enemy. Last week we touched on in Genesis 3, 15, how the Lord spoke to, to Satan and said there would be one whose heel would crush your head. And so that was pointing out that, that the Messiah was to come. Right there in the very, very beginning of Genesis was the redemption narrative beginning to take place as the promised Messiah, Jesus, would come. So we know about Satan as the enemy. He tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, and, and through that temptation, sin entered into the world, and everything went into chaos following that. And we know next that our enemy is ourself, our sinful nature, right? That, that we, we deal with the struggle on the inside. Even Paul dealt with that. In Romans, I, I do the things I don't want to do in, in those verses that he writes about. So there's a sinful nature that we struggle with day in and day out. That is an enemy for us. And, and we know those two enemies, right? We, we, you've heard preachers like me talk about those two enemies. You've been in Bible studies where those enemies are pointed out. And, and that's correct. Those are enemies. But a lot of times the third enemy, death, really isn't talked about specifically. But death is an enemy. A lot of times we, we don't put on the gospel lens when it comes to death. We say things like, Death is a part of life. But death, from what the scripture teaches us, is an enemy for us. Death, death is an enemy that, that is out there for us. You know, when we think about our sinful nature, we struggle with that day in and day out. And we think about the evil one, the tempter, that, that wants us to, to indulge in that sinful nature. And I want to take a side note, a little, a little detour this morning, and remind you of the three lies of sin. I've shared them with you before. I want to reconsider them to, together today. Three lies of sin. The first lie of sin is no one will find out. The, the, our sinful nature and, and being tempted by the evil one, we're going to think that our sin is not going to be found out. No one's going to find out. That, that is one of the lies of sin. That is one of the lies the evil one will tell you. He will be your biggest cheerleader going into sin. And on the back end of sin, he will be your biggest accuser. But the first lie of sin is no one will find out. The second lie of sin is I can stop at any time. I'm engaging in this. This is becoming a habit. 
It's okay. No one's going to find out. And, I, and you know what? I can stop at any time. I, I, can, I can stop no matter when that is, no matter what that looks like. I can, I can stop at any time. That's a lie. That's a lie sin will tell you and the evil one will use. The third lie is it only affects me. The lie from the evil one and the lie from our sinful nature regarding the sin that we engage in, it only affects me. It's not going to hurt anyone else. But that's not true. That's not true. And, and so we, we know about these two enemies. Our, the enemy of the evil one that tempts us with these lies and the enemy of our sinful nature. But the focus here today is that third enemy of death. And, and I want us to put on the gospel lenses to see that it's last but not least. That, that death is, is an enemy. And it came when it didn't have to come. It wasn't God's original design, right? We, we read the beginning of the scripture. It wasn't God's original design for death to enter. It wasn't God's original design for sin to enter. But sin entered and it brings about death. You know, having been in ministry for some time now, I've, I've seen death at a lot of different levels. I've seen death up close. Whether that be in the hospital, whether that be in someone's home, whether that be following up with someone regarding the, the, the funeral for their family member or loved one that passed away. And the, and the reason death is, is an enemy for us is because death is ugly and it was never part of God's design. You know, so often we tell ourselves that, that, that when we die, it'll be in the middle of the night peacefully and, and, and we'll just go. And hopefully that would be the case, but that's, not, that's really not very many cases. Because death is drawn out, and death is ugly, and death is heavy, and death is raw, and death is traumatic. And it's an enemy. But it wasn't part of God's original design. How do we know it wasn't part of his original design? Because he made a way so we wouldn't have to die. You know, everybody goes somewhere when they die. Everybody goes somewhere when they die. And through Christ, the cross, and through an empty tomb, Jesus has made a way to have the hope of eternal life. You see, death is ugly, but Jesus is beautiful. Death is ugly, but Jesus is beautiful because he, as, as he walked the hill of Calvary, he blitzed sin and death. And as he rose again from the tomb, he, he took out the power that death had so it would no longer be there. And through a living Savior, the enemy of death is defeated. And so as we head to Easter, we need to understand that theological reality. Because not only is, is death not only the last enemy or definitely not the least enemy, it's an eternal enemy. And that's the second component I want to share with you from this verse today. Because Paul writes, the last enemy to be abolished is death. But it's an eternal enemy. You know, we say forever and throw that word around a lot, don't we? We say forever in a lot of different scenarios. I'm probably going to get an email this weekend for more screen time at my house because video games are so popular, right? And I just have to confess this morning, I left video games behind a long time ago, all right? They're just too advanced for me. No, no more video games for me. The, the old man in the house can't do all the buttons, just can't do it anymore, you know? And maybe I'm the only one here, God bless you, but just can't do all, that's not my corner anymore. But it used to be 
when there were less buttons. Y'all remember the less buttons, right? It was like a control thing and two buttons, A and B. I could work with that, okay? And so when I would come home, I would press power on the original NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System, right? If you've got one of those in your closet, I'm sure you could sell it and make a lot of money. But anyway, so I would press power on that, and I would want to beat the original Super Mario Brothers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You can do this. You can do that, all right? I got a few in here know about the original Mario Brothers. And so I would make it to the last level, right? I'd make it to the last level where you would defeat Bowser and save Princess Toadstool. Two names you never thought you'd hear in a sermon. Amen? Now the Bible's got a lot of different names. You never thought you'd hear those names. But you would defeat Bowser to save Princess Toadstool. And I'd come home day after day and I would A, B, A, B, A, B, A, B, A, B. Try to get past, try to get past, A, B, A, B. And it seemed like forever until I finally beat the game, right? And we throw around that idea of forever all the time, right? We'll look at our phone and we'll say, man, that app took forever to download. Or we're on that phone call and we're like, it took forever to get her to stop talking to me. Or it took forever for my wife to get out of Target, right? We say all kinds of things like that and we throw forever around. But the reality is, is that forever is real. The truth of God's word shares with us that forever is an actual thing. And it is a, a reality. And that death is a forever or death is an a, eternal enemy. And as we study God's word, we see this. In scripture, we see this pattern. Satan tempted, sin entered, and death loomed. And death is an eternal enemy because everyone goes somewhere when they die. And this eternal reality comes to us, and, and Paul writes here, and he shows that in Christ there's no death. Now, if we had time, we could back up to verse 12, because in verse 12, he's combating some ideas of his day. One of those ideas is that there's no resurrection. There was a school of thought during that time that, that there was no resurrection. But Paul is not only saying that there is a resurrection, he's saying there's no death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Because Christ has come to defeat the eternal enemy that you and I couldn't get past. We couldn't press A and B enough times to get past the eternal enemy of death. But through the cross and through the resurrection of the empty tomb, Jesus has defeated the eternal enemy of death because Christ's death defeated death. Christ's death defeated death, that last enemy. But how can there be no death when everyone dies, Pastor? When everyone takes a final breath here, how can there be no death? Well, that's the third component I want to share with you this morning. The third component is this, absolute abolishment. Absolute abolishment. So we see that the, the enemy of death is last but not least. We see that it's an eternal enemy. But in this one verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 26, we see an absolute abolishing. You know, a governor in a state can choose certain laws to get rid of and abolish, right? You know, there's a lot of crazy laws out there. A lot of crazy politicians, I know. But there's a lot of crazy laws out there. I, I want to share with you two real laws to illustrate what I'm talking about. This first law is this. 
In Missouri, it is illegal to drive down the highway with an uncaged bear in your car. So just want to let you know, if you've got a bear at your house and you've got an ant in Missouri, might want to get on Amazon and get that cage, all right? We don't want you getting pulled over, going to jail because of the uncaged bear. In Florida, these are real. I, mean, I looked these up. These are real. In Florida, if you park your elephant, make sure you put the same change in the meter just as if you were parking your vehicle. So I don't know how many of you ride elephants, you know, but make sure you got change when you, when you go down to Florida, to Disney World, all right, and, uh, and park your elephant, all right? These are silly laws. They're real laws, but they're silly laws, and they can be abolished at any time if anyone cared to go through the process, right? But what does abolish mean? It means they're wiped off the books, right? That if the politicians and the leaders and the governor decided to do so, they could wipe off the books the law about the uncaged bear. They could do that. And no longer would it be on the books of the law of that state. Well, this is what Jesus has done with death. Paul says he has abolished death. Now, let's double-click on that word abolish together this morning. What, what does that word really mean as we dig down? Well, in the original language, it means not only to abolish, but to set aside or to wipe out. And it carry, when, when Paul uses this term, it carries this sense of to be inactivated, to be or become idle, inactive, inoperative, or useless. So Paul is saying here, when he uses the term abolish, that Christ has wiped out and inactivated and made useless the power of death. No longer does this enemy have power over those that have trusted in Jesus, but there is victory in the name of Jesus over the enemy, death. And it's very vivid. This is what scholar Leon Morris notes about this, this term in this one verse. Leon Morris says this, the tense of the, the term abolished, the tense of it, is present. And the use of this tense for future action strikes a note of vividness and certainty. Death will be robbed of all its power. So friends, many went to the tomb and thought the tomb had been robbed, but that's not what happened. Death was robbed on Easter Sunday morning. Many looked at the tomb and said, well, somebody went in there and stole the body of Jesus and robbed. No, death was robbed, the last enemy, death was robbed of all its power that it could ever possibly hold above you and me and anybody that would place their faith in the Lord Jesus because he abolishes it absolutely. And that's huge. Christ's death defeated death. And we have the resurrection this complete and final removal of what we deserve. Because the gospel says we are sinners and we deserve death. But Paul shows us here that the power of the enemy of death was completely wiped off the map, completely wiped off the record, completely abolished by the resurrection of a living Lord. And he writes in Romans chapter 8 that there is now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ's death defeated death. And so from this one verse, we see this giant theological truth. And as we wrap up this morning, we may hear this saying a lot, or we may have even said this before. 
And the saying is, I said it earlier, death is a part of life. Death is a part of life. It's a phrase that we throw out from time to time. Death is a part of life. But the truth of the gospel that we learned this morning is that death is not part of eternal life. Death is not part of eternal life. That what we deserve, Jesus took care of. What we deserve because of our sin, Jesus walked the hill of Calvary. He defeated Satan and sin at the cross, and he robbed death of its power in an empty tomb. He is the one worthy of our praise, our glory, and our life. Because he has abolished the last enemy, death. Now this will do something for you, okay? This will make some significant shifts in your daily life. And I want to share that as, as we close out, as we wrap up this morning. Because I want you to experience this. I don't want you to just know this. I want you to experience this. Of course I want you to believe in Christ and be saved from your sins. But I want you to live it out as well. And there's three shifts that will take place when we fully understand that the last enemy, death, has been abolished and defeated. The first shift is this. We shift from the fear of circumstances to the hope of the gospel. We shift from the fear of the circumstances of this life and this world to the hope that is in Christ, the one who has abolished death, the last enemy. Now, when we talk about shifting, this means a movement in our hearts and in our life. And so we shift from the fear of circumstances to the hope of the gospel. And when I talk about hope, I'm not saying, I'm not saying something like, oh, I hope that it doesn't rain tomorrow because tomorrow will be a better day. That's not what I'm talking about. When I talk about hope of the gospel, we are placing our hope in Christ that the plan, the divine plan and will of God will come to fruition. Because that is what we need. We need the will of God to come to fruition in our life. The next shift is we shift from feeling defeated to embracing Christ's victory. We shift from feeling defeated to embracing Christ's victory. And we think about this. Very practically, with this shift, we move from trying to figure out what our identity is as a person, as a man, as a woman. We shift from this identity that, that we want to make on our own to understanding our identity in Christ. His love for us, his grace and mercy for us, that he has provided hope that there is victory in Christ, and to live out that victory as a child of God. Not project what we feel about ourselves, that we're not good enough or will never be good enough, or any of those kinds of thoughts. We don't shift that onto Jesus. No, we embrace the victory of Jesus because of who he is, what he's done, and that he's abolished the final enemy, which is death. And the last shift, we shift from momentary despair to divine power. This enhances our view. This enhances our understanding. This brings about the big picture that we will shift from momentary despair where we can't handle it ourselves when we think that everything's crashing in. And we shift to divine power where we trust in him who is above all of that, who is sovereign above all of that, and can intervene and make all the difference through his grace, through his power, and through his provision. These shifts all come because Christ's death defeated death. 
And I want you to know that. But I want you to experience that. Because death has been robbed of its sting. And there is victory in the name of Jesus. Christ's death defeated death. Let's pray together. Lord, we bow before you today and we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the depth of it. And we praise you right now because in your name, the last enemy, death, has been abolished. It's been wiped away. And Lord, I pray if there's one here today that's never trusted by faith in a, in a genuine way. They've never authentically trusted in you, Lord Jesus, that you would save them from their sin. They would call upon your name to save them from, save them from their sin, God. And believe that you lived a life no one could live. You lived the perfect life. That, that you went and died in our place on the cross on Calvary's hill. That three days later you rose from the grave and you are alive. They would give their life to you today. Trusting in you. Stepping out in faith. And have the hope of all eternity. The hope that only comes in you, Lord Jesus. I pray for someone here today that maybe life's gotten the best of them. And they've been living in that momentary despair. Or they've been, they've been living defeated in, in their actions and how they're their life is going right now, I pray that you would break into that world and you would break them out of that world and you would help them to live in victory in your name, following you each and every day, Lord, drawing them closer to you to know you more. Give them the, that divine power and that victory that is in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for the one today that maybe they know someone that is far from you. And maybe that they'll use Easter as a way to, to restart the conversation. And that someone in this room will reach out. Maybe they'll make that call that they've made so many times before, but they'll make it again. Maybe they'll go by and visit them, even though they've, they've, they've stopped by to have a conversation with them so many times before. Maybe this week they'll step out in faith and do it one more time. God, you want to use us as your people to live sent, to be sent out on mission for you. And Easter is an opportunity to, to give that personal invitation to someone we know. Lord, we pray that you would use this time that we've had together today. You would use this scripture in our life and in our heart. It would not just be head knowledge, but it would be an experience that we live out to daily glorify you. Lord, we're trusting in you, and we pray this in your powerful, precious name. Amen.